This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, water protectors. We're back with another really special interview for you. Michigan musician, songwriter, and activist Samantha Cooper became one of over 900 defendants in the struggle to stop Line 3 this past summer. She was invited to stand with indigenous leaders upholding their treaty rights and protecting the natural resources guaranteed to them under federal law. After spending a month in Minnesota, Sam created an interpolation of a song called Tomorrow by Minor. Her video single is a love note to the rights of Minoman. The song, Let the Wave, features Frank Bebo, the attorney in a historic rights of Monoman case unfolding in Minnesota, as well as Shara Nova of My Brightest Diamond, Jake Spotted Wolf of Camp McGeezy, our own Holly T. Bird, attorney and co-executive director of Title Track, Mr. Seth Bernard on the guitar, and myself. I caught up with Sam last week via Zoom so she could share with us the story of how she got involved in this activism as well as how she created this song. Before I introduce Sam, let's take a listen to this amazing track, Let the Wave. Our 
food security and sustenance and cultural life way. But wild rice is at risk. Monoman is threatened by climate change, mining, water pollution, and by Enbridge's pipelines. Wild rice is both a legal right under the rights of Monoman and an indicator species that reflects the health of our ecosystem. Monoman requires abundant clean water to grow, making it especially vulnerable to oil spills. There's a climate crisis now. All right. Hi, Sam. Welcome to State of Water. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. I love this podcast. Thank you. So grateful for your work and so grateful for your music. You know, it's, it's been such a joy to be friends with you and be music collaborators over the years. And I think it's really important uh, that, you know, people like you are able to show up for these movements because there's never been a more important time for people to be involved. And so I thought maybe we could start by just having you introduce the listener maybe to like how you got involved with the movement to shut down line three and maybe what your first few steps were in terms of getting involved in this fight. Sure. I have been a Kalamazoo resident for a long time. I've done a lot of touring as a musician and traveling, but um, Kalamazoo was home for so long. And so I remember the, the Kalamazoo River oil spill in 2010, you know, over a million gallons spilled by Enbridge. And um, I wasn't able to process that at the time. It was too big for me. And I was going through some other changes and kind of changed career paths myself from university level activism, environmental activism. And then shifting to like becoming a freelance musician. And so it wasn't until the last few years that uh, I started tuning in again uh, in a bigger level to what was going on with water rights in Michigan and the world. And part of that was just my community in Kalamazoo. Uh, friends like Iris Potter, who runs uh, Kalamazoo Remembers. It's an organization that has uh, commemorative events for the community to grieve and remember what happened. And I played music for that and um, had some of the people that I'm, I'm lucky enough to go ricing occasionally with a group of Anishinaabe people that live in Michigan. 
and they harvest manomen um, to eat and they do it for restoration. And joining them was a sea change for me, just being out on the water and seeing how crucial it is um, to their culture and to everything they hold dear, and then how fragile it is, right? To mining and pollution and climate change because wild rice can't, can't survive much of that. It's an indicator species. And then to learn that it's mostly in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan, it's not many other places in the world. It's just completely unique to the Midwest, wild rice. So in thinking a lot about, you know, as an earthwork artist, I've been really inspired by the founder, Seth Bernard, who's also title track, State of Water podcast um, instigator, and seeing his journey and how he's become more of a water activist and how he sees that as a, a bridge building thing between people of all political spectrums. It's just caring about water. So I think Seth's leadership among other musicians' leadership in Michigan um, has encouraged a lot of us that were like, you know, full-time professional musicians to be like, okay, you know, we're doing benefit concerts, we're doing other stuff, but how can we dig deeper and use our voice and our platform and then give over our voice and platform so something about um, being out on the canoe and harvesting wild rice with this amazing crew of friends helped me put all the pieces together. And then I, I started hearing more about Line 3 in Minnesota and just thinking it was time for me to head out there and see what was happening. Mm, thank you. That's so powerful. And it also just strikes me how uh, important and unique our state and our ecosystem uh, is and how tragic and disturbing it is that these are the ecosystems that these multinational corporations are choosing to, you know, do these things. It's, it's awful. Um, exactly. So what was the first step like to deciding, I mean, after deciding to go out there, um, how did you take that first step? I think a jump off for me was attending Evict Enbridge in Michigan. It was, it was an incredible event run by Mackinac O'Day and Oil and Water Don't Mix and a few other huge water protector groups in Michigan. And it was a convergence and people came from all over the country and lots of people came from Minnesota from the Line 3 struggle. Oh, it was just so inspiring to be there. I got to spend time with my friend Iris Potter from Kalamazoo Remembers and She's someone to me that has consistently showed up for decades in a lot of these related fights. So I'm always kind of watching her and figuring out how she sustains herself within these movements. And I just felt inspired and ready after meeting a crew of Line 3 folks. And I had a friend that was driving out and offered to um, caravan with me. And so I showed up with uh, Gerardo Reyes of Circle Pine Center and Sean McBrearty of Oil Water Don't Mix and a number of other Michiganders. We went to the Treaty People Gathering, which was like a few thousand people that showed up in rural northern Minnesota to help assert um, their treaty rights the, of the Anishinaabe to, to be there and to try to protect their water and their wild rice. And it was incredible. Um, and I wound up staying for about two weeks and occupying an Enbridge easement uh, at the headwaters of the Mississippi on an invitation 
from some local indigenous leaders. So we stayed there for about eight days. And um, luckily the local sheriff there was not a big fan of Enbridge and the way that things are happening. But at the end of the day is still protecting, you know, Enbridge's private property and over treaty rights. So uh, he kept the riot cops from, you know, evicting us, which we appreciated. But he did say that we would be cited and given misdemeanors if we stayed past 5 p.m. on that fateful day. So uh, over about 50 of us got misdemeanors that day. And I just had a court date this morning on Zoom for that. And that's ongoing. Mm, I do have so to that was ask my you. first trip there. <laughs> wow. I do have to ask you, how was, how was the court date this morning? <laughs> um, it was pretty chill, actually. We, uh, the, one of the many beautiful things about this movement is that everybody is so interested, invested in community care. So there's a lot of people that are showing up, having lots of meetings together, holding space, um, making sure everyone feels supported. So I feel really lucky, at, you know, to be in community while we're going through this. Hmm. One time when I caught up with you about this, you kind of related this incredible, like next level system of volunteering that that you were uh, you know a part of and and uh, were witness to during this protest and and has probably set up for just the entire movement to stop line three. Um, would you be able to tell our listeners just a little bit about how the kind of like the volunteering system works and how the rhythm of of uh, having volunteers participate in direct action, like how that works? Sure. Yeah, the level of attention behind the treaty people gathering was just inspirational. There was a lot of um, decolonization training for white people that wanted to come. Um, a lot of general training about legal rights. And um, there's a whole ecosystem, right, of, of nonviolent direct action, which is something I learned a lot about, NVDA. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. There's so many roles you can take and... There is not shame involved in whatever roles you need to take or want to take, you know, and like there's a whole spectrum of risks you can take. But I think the most important roles, often the most plentiful roles, include lower risk roles that are centered on just supporting other people and making other people feel safe and not alone and fed and, you know, clothed and cared for. So just like next level mutual aid community care stuff going on in rural Minnesota and so many resistance camps, even though now, um, you know, the line has been completed, which is really heavy, but the resistance isn't over. It's just shifting. So it's less about, you know, people showing up all over rural Minnesota to do nonviolent direct action. And now it's, it's shifting gears. Mm. Oh, I did not know that. I knew that it was, I knew that it was being built and that some of the last parts of it were being built, I think when you were over there. Um, but that's, that's just infuriating. And, you know, it also just speaks to the resilience of the movements that they're able to shift and just shift focus and keep the fight going. So you mentioned uh, that that was the first time you went over there. I know you, you came back home to Michigan for a little while. What was that second trip like? Yeah. Um, 
whew, well, it was really hard to come back and be, you know, quote unquote, not on the front line when you got kind of used to what that felt like. But the second trip was much more intense because um, the construction had ramped up and there was drilling happening, just starting to happen under the rivers. And it was really traumatic for a lot of people. And so I spent a few weeks at the the Red Lake Treaty Camp the second time that I went. And it was, um, it was much different. It was, it was heavier in every regard, but the community care game was still next level. In Michigan, we're lucky because all 12 federally recognized tribes um, oppose Line 5. And just recently, I think on the 5th of November, all 12 tribes sent a letter to Biden um, urging him to support Whitmer's eviction notice, which is currently caught up in the legal system. Um, we're really lucky that uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, they required an environmental impact statement or an EIS statement in June of 2021 for Line 5, which will take a while to complete. And that's a really, to, in my opinion, that's a great step in the right direction, even though we still have an urgent situation because the current old corroded line is still running. It's just heavy. So I picked up on that energy out there, you know, and just being in a rural town where there's a history of um, people being frustrated with quote unquote protesters. But it's interesting that some people, of course, are protesting and that's part of the movement, but a more powerful word seems to be that they are protecting, you know, and not just mm. protesting. They're protecting land and water. And I think that messaging is really powerful. So overall, it was just so inspiring to see that um, this is a nonviolent indigenous-led movement. And there's so much intention um, to help keep it that way and to train people on how that works. And of course, not everybody 100% follows suit because it's a healthy movement and you can't control everyone. <laughs> mm. But that is, those are the stated goals of the movement. It's indigenous led, it's nonviolent. Um, and they're trying to protect treaty rights and Minoman, AKA wild rice, which can't, can't be viable without clean water because it's very sensitive. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, appreciate your perspective so much. And just thank you for being there. Um, so then uh, I heard or saw on social media that there was also a big direct action, nonviolent direct action that occurred in the Capitol, in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember texting you during the making of this song and you said you had been in D.C. Um, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about that experience, too? Sure. Yeah. Um, there's been some incredible feats of organization that have happened, you know, this this summer alone with the movement, it just blows my mind. One that I wasn't able to attend was um, called Treaties Not Tar Sands at the Minnesota State Capitol. And I was able to get some drone footage from a movement videographer from one of those scenes. And it's really powerful. It's just an image of the Minnesota State Capitol and there are teepees all around in the lawn. And they're having, you know, an occupation. They're having an action for a week. Um, Another big action that happened was in D.C., and it was called People versus Fossil Fuels. 
And whew, I wasn't quite ready for that one. It just really blew me open because it, I had been sort of tunnel visioning on line three and five, you know, and building that um, sense of solidarity between those two struggles. But when we were there, they really made an effort, the organizers, to bring in people from all over the country who have unfortunately settled and built their lives in sacrifice zones and so become sacrifice people, right, to the fossil fuel industry. And there was just, I mean, countless people up on the mic telling amazing stories about what's happening with them and their communities. So I felt a little overwhelmed trying to take in all of it because it, it's like I had only just now <laughs> been able to manage like really focusing in on line three and five and feeling it in my body more than I ever had when I was out there. Uh, so hearing about all the other zones, right, where Enbridge and other fossil fuel companies are kind of just hoping there's not too much of an uprising but all these other people that are just right in the path of these unsustainable projects. So it was really inspiring to see that, but hard to. Hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's, um, yeah, to take that in and to, to feel the weight of it and know that this whole system, this whole system is wired this way, but it's so wonderful just to hear these stories of the solidarity and, and the ability to organize and, and, you know, community building. And as you said, forming community care and taking care of the people that are carrying that weight in their bodies and their hearts. And I think it's great because it's another form of resistance for showing, you know, anybody who's involved in that movement is showing the system. We're not going to do this in a way that exploits anything or anyone. We're going to do it in a way that, takes care of us all, you know? So I think that's really wonderful. That um, reminds me, I found a favorite, a new favorite quote. I have it written down here um, from Megan Crouch. Um, it says, the future is not a luxury and we don't have to sacrifice anyone. And those two phrases are just so powerful hmm. right now. It's just, the future is not a luxury. And we don't have to sacrifice anyone. Just those two phrases alone, right? If we were to really follow those two phrases, we could <laughs> transform this situation. Absolutely. Wow. So here we are. It's November of 2021. What does the view forward look like? Are there actions uh, coming in the near future that you know of? Or... Um, yeah, anything you can provide our listeners on what the near future of these fights look like, especially for someone who's hearing this interview and might be inspired to get involved themselves. Sure. Um, I think in many ways, Minnesota has inspired Michigan to up their game and up their resistance because Minnesota gave it everything they had this summer. And beyond, they've been working on this for, I think, eight years now. Um, but in some ways, you know, I, I hear people have spoken in the past about Detroit as like, Detroit is what the rest of the world has to look forward to in terms of like, Detroit had to figure out what the hell to do, you know, after, without 
adequate resources and support from their government um, and in general. And they have. I mean, the resilience there and the creativity is just a thing, a thing of wonder. And that's how I felt when I was in Minnesota. It's like, you know, this could be Michigan in a few years or even sooner if we're not able to evict Enbridge. And this is what might have to happen. Um, so I think many people in the Line 3 struggle are focusing on defendant media stories. You know, there was over 900 people, again, that have been charged in this fight. And so many people that have sacrificed in other ways. And I think um, there's a push to amplify those stories. And so that's why I did this song. It's the people that I was, you know, following the leadership under at Camp Firelight, which is where I was the first time I went there, have asked us to tell these stories in any way that we can, if we're able to, you know, if we want to come forward with them. So I would ask anybody listening to send me media outlet contacts and organizational contacts where I can send this video to do more interviews and tell people about what's going on and so that they can hear the song. And I think um, there's also some general goals, right, which is to pressure Biden and the Army Corps of Engineers to require a full environmental impact statement on Line 3, like they did in Line 5 in June of 2021, um, to, to back Governor Whitmer's eviction of Enbridge and the Bay Mills Indian Community's banishment of Enbridge and the Bad River Band's lawsuit of Enbridge. So there's a lot happening in Michigan to try to evict Enbridge from our waters. Um, and I think also, just like to me, the overwhelming umbrella of these movements, uh, the commonality of them is the stop the money pipeline movement, you know, to divest in fossil fuels. And I have sort of the charge written here. It's like uh, divesting in fossil fuels and demanding that banks, asset managers, insurance companies, and institutional investors stop funding, insuring, and investing in climate destruction. So I think the Stop the Money Pipeline coalition is really powerful. And that's something that came out of the post-Standing Rock movement. And it's a giant coalition of different organizations. And then, of course, amplifying the rights of Monoman case. That is literally just currently unfolding in Minnesota. So to make that, you know, mainstream media, like that should be covered, you know. <laughs> on CNN like why not that's huge it it might impact it's going to be precedent setting no matter what um so I'm hopeful for that case and I was also asked to uh encourage people to donate to the center for protest law and litigation they have a line three rapid response fund and they are in dire need of support for all of the legal cases that are currently gumming up the Minnesota <laughs> legal system. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for laying that all out. I just had this feeling of, you know, hearing that list of all the different fights, as awful as it is that any of the fights should have to happen, it's inspiring to hear all those many arms of what is essentially the same fight. And if they can all gain the media attention they deserve, if they can all have volunteers plugging in, 
at any level that they possibly can, we can take this thing on from all those individual angles. Um, you know, it gives me hope to hear about fights not only happening in the legal system and not only happening in nonviolent direct action, but every other way that we can think of because, you know, it's such a multifaceted system. We need to kind of attack it from all sides, nonviolently attack, of course, but. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, that, thank you. The, just the, uh, you know, we can all argue till we're blue in the face about, <laughs> about how to transition from fossil fuels. But I think the reality is, at least with Line 5, the majority of oil that's being transported is being used by Canada. And with Line 3, it's uh, increasing tar sands production by 20%. And it could impact up to 20% of our drinking water if a spill occurred. But what climate scientists are telling us is that we have to rapidly decrease, just decrease both the supply and the demand of oil, not be increasing it by 20% when we're literally in a cold red for humanity type of situation with the climate and with climate chaos. I mean, it's just ridiculous. We, we're innovative, we're <laughs> renewable energies are becoming cheaper. There's so many paths with, that we can take toward a just transition. The Indigenous Environmental Network recently released uh, a guide to a just transition based on the Indigenous Environmental Network and their framework. And it talks about phasing out unsustainable polluting industries and creating economies based on regenerative jobs. One quote that I thought was really powerful says, we must transform our relationship with the earth and with nature from a property-based approach to recognizing her as a legal rights-bearing entity. And they discuss how any Green New Deal must be rooted in a framework based on the indigenous principles of just transition. They were able to be at COP26 and I know they were handing out that guide, that just transition guide which is just amazing. Absolutely. Another inspiring story of someone, you know, showing up with what they can show up with, you know, plugging in with their individual strength, maybe their individual magic that they can bring to the table. And with that in mind, we should talk about this song that you created, <laughs> this song that you envisioned. Um, I, I wanted to mention that earlier on in the interview, you said you were talking about community care. And you said, um, everyone wants to feel safe, not alone and fed. And I think that's one of the most beautiful powers of music is to achieve that. And I have to say your music in particular for me has the way that you sing and the way that you play has always just been so deeply rooted in the heart that when I listen to you play, when I watch you play, I just can't help but sink into that heart space. Um, and I really think that comes through to a lot of people on a lot of levels uh, when they experience your music. Um, and yeah, so I just think it's so powerful that you're using your superpower to connect to the heart for this cause uh, via this song. And uh, yeah, I was just so excited and thrilled when you asked me to be a part of it. So maybe you can give the listeners just a, a little window into the creation process of that song and, uh, and yeah, what it was like to 
to make it and what it's like now to have it out in the world. Yeah. Well, when I got back from Minnesota the second time um, in early August, I continued to struggle to be not on the front line. You know, I had experienced that one time and then went back. <laughs> and then I was back home again. And, um, you know, was reading all the articles, trying to keep up to date and just feeling disconnected. It's, it's not the same as being out there. And it was hard to watch more and more waterways being drilled under and more and more frack outs happening. You know, there was, um, I think somewhere like 28 frack outs, which is essentially a spill of drilling fluid, which is some kind of secretive proprietary blend, but it's got some harsh chemicals in there. And so there were several frack outs happening and it was really hard to just be home and feel disempowered, right. And not know what to do. And so I had sung this song by Minor called Tomorrow. I learned it from my friend Elizabeth Pixley Fink, who learned it from a song circle. And I had sung it at the um, at a Kalamazoo Remembers event to commemorate um, the oil spill. And it just dawned on me that I could make a remake of this song. I love rewriting songs. And I learned uh, that the term interpolation is really what I was doing which is keeping some of the musical elements and coming up with mostly new words, right? But also adding some of my own musical elements and just sort of redoing the song. So through studying like Tupac and uh, Ariana Grande and some other folks that have done interpolations, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. Okay, now I can find like a legal, I can find some sort of guide on how I do this legally. <laughs> So I contacted the band and we worked out a, um, a publishing split. Um, and at a certain point I was like, okay, I can do this. Who can I work with? Dan, I just thought of you immediately. It was just like, Dan could just nail this drum part. <laughs> so I created a really shitty recording of me playing drums on my table and you just nailed it. And I think it was just the next week I was in Grand Rapids doing a, a youth songwriting program for the week. And we were able to just take a couple hours, you know, and get the vocal part down really quick and solidify the drum part. And you did a few other production magic things and it was just rolling. It was so exciting. <laughs> yeah, that, I just love that original recording of you playing that percussion pattern on your, on like a desk. It's great. I just was like, yep, I'm in. Sign me up. Load me up. I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, and it was so fun because then there's this momentum that we had going, uh, you know, to try to get the song out by a specific time so it could be of use to the movement. And for me, that momentum really motivated me to, uh, you know, we we then, you know, got a hold of Seth and the momentum just kept going. Um, so next was probably Seth laying down the guitar part, right? Yes. You, you got to explain that part, what we put Seth through. <laughs> That was awesome because you had this vision of a riff. You had the riff in your mind. And um, it was kind of just a joke, kind of a fun thing for you and I to do in the studio at the end of our session. I said, why don't you just sing the riff? Because there was you had to sing it to him in some form anyway. So he said, why don't you we'll just sing the riff and we'll put distortion on it and try to make it sound like an electric guitar part. And that, you know, maybe someday we'll release the, the version with the original. Uh, <laughs> right. Onomatopoeia guitar riff. <laughs> um, 
that was great. And he picked up on it. You know, he's such an amazing musical ear and he just picked that right up, added his own little flavor to the end of the lick, um, sent us two octaves of it. Sounded so great. Both of which we had to use because come on, it's too good. Absolutely. You got to layer them in there. Um, and then I believe the next step was you reached out to, um, you know, some of the members of the movement uh, and some indigenous voices to be these kind of megaphone parts. Um, and uh, one of which was Title Track's own co-executive director, Holly T. Bird. Uh, and the others were friends that you met uh, in Minnesota on the front lines. You want to tell yeah. us a little bit about that connection and getting them to read those? Sure. Um, the track also features Jake Spotted Wolf from Camp McGeezy in northern Minnesota. I was lucky to be around Jake for a few weeks and was just floored at their leadership and what they would say on the mic and on the megaphone whenever needed, right? Uh, in some really tense situations and um, really intense standoffs with the police, you know, just holding it down and uh, sharing so much truth. Like so many of the indigenous leaders out there, just um, so eloquent and powerful. So I was really glad that Jake agreed to put some megaphone parts down. And I also just emailed Frank Bebo out of nowhere. I saw him speak in Minnesota at the Treaty People Gathering. It's like, what a badass, oh my God. And he's a tribal attorney for Honor the Earth and the White Band of Ojibwe, and he's representing Minoman, a.k.a. Wild Rice, in the Rights to Minoman case. So, uh, total badass. I just was like, <laughs> the subject of the email just read, Hey, Frank, can I feature you in a song? I was just like, hi! I was really enthusiastic. Like, <laughs> I've been out there. I'm a defendant. I'm... I'm making this song, I'd love to feature you in it. Uh, and I sent him this, um, this quote that I sort of paraphrased and edited from The Grist. Uh, the Grist released an article about how wild rice is at the center of this line three struggle. And it featured Frank. And it was great. And so I told him, you know, if you'd be willing to say this or something like this about wild rice, I would just want to plop it in the middle of my song with these electric guitars. And to my delight, he was like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. And it's such a such a beautiful moment in the song. Um, just two ripping electric guitars that kind of represent the power of the statement. And then yes. just Frank's such such an eloquent speaker. And also just happens to have such a rich tone in his voice that's really oh, satisfying to listen to. <laughs> totally. And it just reminded me, you know, that everybody's just out here way more connected than ever, especially during the pandemic, you know, and the the pandemic alone, I think evolved my, uh, both my fear and my courage about what's happening in the world and helped activate me on a deeper level. But it also reminded me that everyone is at home more and has a little more free time. Uh, not necessarily at home more, but the world all shifted together. And it's like, why not just reach out to these people that you see as heroes? You know, they all have emails. Maybe they'll pick up. <laughs> and they did. And then it's another example is uh, my friend Shara Nova from My Brightest Diamond, who I've been a big fan of and got to meet. We were in a, um, a white anti-racist caucus space together during the pandemic. 
and then kind of became friends. And she asked to hear what I was working on. And she was like, could I lay some vocals on this? And I was like, oh, please do. And she just sent back like an ocean of amazing vocals, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Shara came in in the 11th hour of the recording process and just made the piece, I mean, like, it just became a whole new vision. And I was so blown away um, by just how much she was able to lay down in one day because she just spent one day laying that stuff down. And for the listener's sake, not only those backing vocals, uh, but the synth bass that you hear, some of the percussion that you hear, the uh, kind of like the kick drum patterns and whatnot. And then also Shara came in with these amazing production ideas, you know, cutting the drums in the first chunk of the song. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really resonate with that. Like what you're talking about, the possibility of collaboration that we don't always have to be in the same physical space to collaborate. Um, honestly, you got me going on that during one of our, since we're both in the Earthwork Music Collective, you had been pushing that like, hey, let's, let's collaborate more, let's do stuff. And that was kind of the, that was in my mind, repeating when I was like, okay, who do I work with? Dan, you know? <laughs> and so I thought it was also great that you were so, um, you somehow found the time to work on it after your weekly like production sound engineering course. Uh, but then it was also clear that like, because this was such a quick moving project and we wanted to get it done as fast as possible, that I should we should give it to someone else to do the last leg, which was great that you helped facilitate that. And then we got it into Brian Heaney's hand, you know, my friend who's a engineer in Kalamazoo. And that was great too. It's just, gosh, there was probably just like 30, 40 people involved in this collaborative project with the song and the video alone. There's over 12 people that contributed uh, media, right? Alone. So, mm. whew. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. I definitely wanted to thank Brian somewhere in the podcast because we handed it off to him and he did such a phenomenal job of putting Shara's tracks together and putting, you know, all the, la the final effects on things and just did a great mix. Um, really great mix. And it was so grateful to have him involved, uh, having worked with him in Kalamazoo and then also Ben Zito at Centennial Sound finished it off yes. with a master. Um, yeah, and so, oh, go ahead. And then it was fun to uh, move into video editing mode because it's like I had hung out with Brian for like a week. We were just hanging out every day, you know, working on the track and the mix and kept getting deeper and deeper in on it. But it was just, just felt worth it. You know, I had a, I had a grant from the Arts Council of Kalamazoo. And I was like, let's just go all out on this. And then, then I dove into the video editing with um, a person named... John Staganga from Humanizing Through Story. And he lives in a van and travels the country doing photojournalism and media production for movements like Line 3. He was at Standing Rock. And I met him briefly in northern Minnesota the day, well, I think the day that I left, and just got a great feeling about him and asked him if he'd be down to edit this video with me. And again, that was just like, oh my gosh endless Google Doc edits, you know, remote video editing through Google Docs, but it was great. It's like, you can do that too. You don't have to be in the same zone. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So I do have to 
move into this before we end the episode here. And thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your story. <laughs> um, Seth Bernard, usually when he interviews people for the podcast, at the end of the episode, he always relates that music is something that can always rebuild us, um, recreate us, rejuvenate us when we are feeling low or we're feeling exhausted. And especially all the folks that have been generous enough to lend their time and energy, such as yourself, to giving interviews for the podcast are all involved in different activism. And in this day and age, activists need something to recharge them and rejuvenate them. So I do have to ask you, is there music right now or in recent times uh, that you've been listening to that's been rejuvenating you as you as you uh, lay yourself on the line and show up for this movement? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the process of making this video single really did help to rejuvenate and recharge me and empower me. I have so many, uh, what I now know are called interpolations that I've written <laughs> that I felt overwhelmed because I was like, this seems legally hard and complicated and, a few folks I'd asked were kind of like, oh, so it's a cover? And I was like, no, it's, it's not really a cover. It's different. And they were like, oh, I don't know about that. So um, the Peters brothers actually from Quite Scientific Records really helped me figure that out and Chris Backgate. So kudos to them. But in terms of music that's rejuvenating me right now, I've been recently creating Spotify playlists. I'm new to Spotify, but now it's really fun. And I have them linked on my artist page. So there's one song that I heard uh, when I was in Minnesota. I actually heard it played several times. It was like, felt like sort of an anthem or a really special piece of music to a lot of the water protectors that were out there. And it's called Indian Car by Keith Sokola. It's amazing. And the video is great. And I've listened to it a bunch since. And I just find it really inspiring. So I encourage all the listeners to check out Indian Car by Kisakola. Mm, absolutely. I'm definitely going to check it out after this. Well, thank you so much, Sam, not only for sharing your story um, and sharing the process of this song, but also just for dropping throughout this interview just this treasure trove of different organizations and efforts. And it really sounds like there's a lot in this episode for people to unpack and be sure to look up these organizations that Sam mentioned all throughout the way. And maybe one of them is the one that you, the listener, gets attached to and finds a way into, you know, using your superpower for uh, this multifaceted movement uh, to protect our water. Um, so once again, just thank you so much, Sam, for taking the time and sharing your story. And uh, we just wish you all the best. And we can't wait to see what you do next. And we can't wait to hear all those new uh, interpolations that are yet to be released. Um, and just thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad the State of Water podcast exists. And I'm grateful for your work. State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, 
and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. <laughs>